are back. Welcome to the month of June. Welcome to another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, a film critic, uh, multiple print and online publications uh, around the world in the U.S. and abroad. But every Monday you can find me right here on Adrenaline Radio from 11 to 12. And as a reminder to everybody, after we go off the air at noon uh, Pacific time, the show is also available for rebroadcast on the on the Adrenaline Radio archive. Uh, by the afternoon, it is available on my website, MovieSharkDeBlore.com. And by Tuesday morning, on iTunes. We are on iTunes. And typically, this week we are forgoing video, but normally we also do shoot two-camera video with a full edit, uh, which is then available on YouTube, my site, and various other sites. Uh, today we're forgoing video because... I had a bad cat who stuck his claw in my eye and ripped my lower eyelid. Um, So my eye is not a pretty sight right now. Not that it is any other time, but today it's particularly bad. So we're forgoing cameras today. Uh, But we will have cameras back next week. And today, D-Day, of course, honoring uh, our men and women in arms and during World War II, uh, very uh, 73-year anniversary. Uh, not an anniversary that uh, the kind of, we, we like to celebrate, but it is one that deserves to be acknowledged and uh, all the servicemen and women remembered. So today's show, have some fabulous guests. We've got two returning guests, and we have one definite new guest. We have a possible other new guest, um, in a few minutes, about 15 minutes, Ned Airbar is with us again to talk about his wonderful short film, Bunker. Uh, he has some distribution news for us on that. Uh, half hour mark, uh, writer-director Michael Wexler is back with us to talk about Altered Minds. He's got distribution news for us. And possibly uh, one of his lead actors, Ryan O'Nan, will be calling in as well, depending on his schedule. You may recall that Michael was with us a a few months ago, beginning of February, talking about Altered Minds. And at the same time, several of of his cast members, other cast members have been with us, Joseph Lyle Taylor and Jamie Ray Newman. Uh, So it's always fun to talk to Michael. Uh, So looking forward to that. And then at the 45-minute mark, we have a first-time feature writer, director, filmmaker, Desmond Devinish, uh, with a film called Misfortune. Uh, has its world premiere this week at Dances with Films on June 10th. And it is a fascinating film. Uh, I had a chance to watch it. It's a thriller. It's a cat and mouse chase. And it's, it's got diamonds in it. So I'm in. So a lot of good stuff. Uh, in the meantime... As most of you may know, in the L.A. area, this is we are in the midst of Los Angeles Film Festival. It kicked off with a bang uh, on Wednesday night on Sunset Boulevard at the Cinerama Dome. And we actually had, with the film, Lowriders, and there was actually a parade of Lowriders that came by on Sunset as part of the world premiere. So that was interesting. Anybody wants to see any of the footage of that, and the videos of all of my red carpet interviews, uh, it's all, all of it's available on YouTube, Elias Entertainment, Movie Shark Deblore, or on my website, MovieSharkDeblore.com. A lot of wonderful, wonderful films uh, are coming out of L.A. Film Festival this year. As I had mentioned last week, rather than mine, all of the other film festivals around the country has been so often the case for LAFF. They really went out looking for a lot of world premieres, new filmmakers that are debuting in beautiful downtown Culver City uh, this week. So, and some of those films, let me, let me just talk about some of those films. Is that okay, Brian, or should we do the Star Wars countdown? Oh, I I have permission from Brian. He's holding off, keeping you in suspense on the Star Wars countdown. And which, by the way, I want to say a big welcome to some new listeners that I know we have today. Uh, some of the cast and crew from one of these great L.A. Film Festival films, a wonderful horror film that I'm going to talk about, Beyond the Gates. So, 
Hi, guys. You're going to get your Star Wars countdown in, in just a little bit. But let's talk about some of the films that are at LAFF with these world premieres. So, and why not? Why not start with Beyond the Gates? A fascinating, it's, it's creative, it's clever, it's inventive, and it is in the nightfall, it is in the nightfall section, it is in competition. Uh, premise of the film is a deserted video store, two estranged brothers, a missing father, thousands of videotapes, and I'm not underestimating, thousands of videotapes, a locked office, an interactive VHFs board game where the video game goes hand in hand with the VHS. The board game goes hand in hand with the VHS tape and horror icon, Barbara Crampton, who is the game show mistress, shall we say, uh, Jackson Stewart wrote and directed this and, uh, Steve Scarlatta co-wrote it. Um, just, very inventive and creative. These two brothers, Gordon and John, uh, an amazing cast, one of whom, Chase Williamson, who really finally gets to step up in the role of John. You may remember seeing Chase uh, in films like John Dies at the End. He was also in The Guest uh, a couple years ago. But he finally gets to come into leading man status here in Beyond the Gates. It is... Visually, it is extremely well done. It taps into all of the what you would expect in vintage horror. Um, but then you have the performances. But the scene stealer is really Barbara Crampton, uh, who we only see in black and white via a television screen from the VHS tape being watched. And uh, we play the game, and uh, the game is beyond the gates, and you will go beyond the gates. Um, so that's a, that's a real that's a real winner. Yeah, there's still another screening at LA Film Festival uh, tonight, as a matter of fact. Another one of my top three must see picks at LA Film Festival this year is Bloodstripe. There have been too few films over the past decade um, that address what is now an all too frequent condition with our returning soldiers from the Middle East, uh, post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress disorder. Rick Waugh a couple years ago did a powerhouse documentary, that which I love destroys me with two soldiers that bravely came forth and told about their journeys and how PTSD does affect soldiers and what everybody believes to be, well, you're back, jump into a normal life, what you and I know as normal is not what these returning soldiers know as normal. That trash bag being carried out to the street, to them it could be an IED of some, of some sort. You know, the dark shadow behind the garage is not just a tree limb. It could be a person with a gun aimed at you. Um, that documentary showed us a lot. But now, thanks to Kate Nolan... And Remy Aubergenois, son of Renee, these two, they have co-written Bloodstripe. Kate stars in it. Remy directs it. And we go beyond even the issue of PTSD. This is told from the point of view of a female, a female soldier. In this case, Kate plays a Marine sergeant. It is her performance. It is nothing short of tour de force. Remy's direction is absolutely flawless. And the cinematography is, there are no words for the beauty. You could pick almost any shot in the film. And it's a money shot. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, So that one is still playing. That Actually, there's another uh, performance tomorrow night. Which, if there are tickets available, I can't encourage you enough to check out Bloodstripe at LA Film Festival. Um, then, of course, now, of course, we have Ned calling in. Oh, he's such a good boy. I guess we're going to go to Ned. We're going to go to Ned. My my beloved Ned Airbar. Hello, my darling. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Why are you laughing? Um, I don't know. I'm just 
seems like the right response. Fine, fine. <laughs> Be that way. You know, you can't even see me making faces this week because I'm not doing video this week. No, but I can imagine them. Well, it's hard to make faces today, actually, because, you know, Clark cat clawed my eye, so. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, rip the entire lower lid. <laughs> And of course, it's the cat named Clark. Of course, of course. And of course, it's alive and well. You know, and of course, only you will understand that reference. But <laughs> we are here to talk about this this wonderful little film called Bunker. Ah, yes, the Bunker. Um, yeah, what bunker. what's bunker. what's going on with Bunker? Tell everybody for those that have short term memory and can't remember the last time you were here we're talking about Bunker. Fill everybody in on what Bunker is. Well, Bunker was a, or still is, a uh, sci-fi rom-com yeah, uh, it, short film it that we made. It didn't um, change sitting in the box or anything? Is what? It didn't change while it's been sitting around in a box or something? No, it has not been re-edited <laughs> or, uh, you know, pre-shot. Um, it's actually, it's, it's been available um, for a little bit now on iTunes and uh, for purchasing or renting and, and whatnot. Um, and some, apparently you can rent it on YouTube, which I didn't know was a thing, but it's, there you go. Uh, but this Saturday, the little film that could is finally making its debut on DirecTV. Yay! So we're very excited about that. And it, it, is what part of the HD Shorts program? Yes, the, uh, the Shorts HD, I think it's a channel. Um, I think it's an on-demand sort of thing or a... I don't have direct TV, so I don't know how this really works. But. I, I don't have it either, so I don't know how it works. Brian, do you have direct TV? Brian has direct TV. Do you know how this works? He doesn't know how it works, and he has direct TV. Okay. Yeah, we are a wealth of information here today, people. Yes. We know I'm, it's. Di- I'm a great pitch man, obviously. <laughs> we know it's on direct TV this Saturday. <laughs> yes. It will begin become available uh, Saturday, June 11th for DirecTV subscribers, and I hope they enjoy it. Well, now tell everybody what, (laughs) give some more detail about Bunker, and don't leave out my favorite part of the film. Uh, Would that be the dog? Yes. (laughs) The dog, yes. Uh, There's a, a, uh, most importantly, there's a German shepherd in the movie um, named Jack, who turns out to be a very uh, very capable young furry actor. Um, he is not here right this moment, but if he was, he would whine at me. Well, uh, I'm, uh, I'm very sad we can't have Jack as a guest on the show. Sorry, he's, 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 uh, he's off of, uh, at the spa today. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, um, now, see, but, uh, that should tell everybody, please, you really need to go on demand and pay to see Bunker so that Jack can keep going to the doggy spa. Yes, it's a it's very vitally important. Um, no, so the, the, it's a it's a fun little film we decided to make that um, basically it's set during the robot apocalypse uh, naturally, um, and it's uh, about a group of survivors in a bunker, and um, despite calamity and catastrophe outside, uh, one of them can't help sort of wandering into a rom com. Mm-hmm. And then we just get to mash up those genres and have a lot of fun with that. So now, you know, I, I'm sure people are wondering, you know, robot apocalypse and all. But you know, for those that haven't seen this yet, the cinematography is outstanding. The location that you found, talk about the location because the location is so cool in this film. Oh, well, well we, we got super lucky. Um, well, everyone who worked on this, this film was an like, absolute pro. I had the best crew and they were, it was uh, some of the most fun uh, shooting I've ever done. And just like, and we had a production design team. There's um, Katie Moist and Adam Levermore who built, and uh, and um, Frank. I can't forget Frank, our art director. He's he's a pal. Um, they uh, they built this uh, interior of this bunker from scratch. Um, we we just holed up in a little fun party space in Echo Park and basically turned it into a soundstage. And uh, there's if you watch them film. When you're inside the bunker, it's the only one wall in that is actually real, and the rest are all just um, plywood. <laughs> but that's the magic of movie making. No, um, but it, and they did it all for like no money because I was a cheap uh, person. Yes, and so was your executive producer. Yes, <laughs> we made this for very little money. Um, 
And then for the exteriors, we, we got super lucky. Um, my producer, Coco Quinn, and I found this, this uh, decommissioned army base in San Pedro that's also a museum called uh, Fort MacArthur, uh, where they have these two giant, uh, well, like the, uh, this, the, this battery where they had these two giant guns that would sort of defend the Pacific coast um, way back in the early 20th century. And it's just full of these giant sort of concrete um, dugouts and huge doors. And we're like, we just need something that looks like a door to a bunker and ended up getting this whole giant uh, playground to work with. And they were, and we got to spend the day out there and it was uh, just an amazing uh, shooting experience. Well, now, but you, now you've shot other films as well. Have you, have you had the same kind of luck with finding a location as perfect as this one on bunker? That one, I mean, that one was pretty, pretty special. Um, I just uh, completed shooting a feature film called The California Know, which was all written specifically to locations that I knew I could get ahead of time, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, which were mostly people's houses. And there is, um, while this is getting ahead of myself, but there is, there is a great um, home in Malibu Canyon that we got to spend a weekend shooting at that I can't wait for people to see. Is that, is that the one you sent me pictures of? Oh, my. Not a bad way to live. Not a bad way to live. Even for a weekend. Even for a weekend, you know, and I haven't seen the finished version of of California No yet. No one has. Well, well, and that's because L.A. Film Festival did not take it into the festival. Well, and also now we're we're not done with it, so we decided to, to go back in and do some more work on it. Well, I still think that, you know, L.A. Film Festival missed the boat by not taking a film of yours. That's no comment. <laughs> I make enough comments for both of us, <laughs> but you know. Uh, but no, it's it's, it's going to be it's going to be fun once once it's all all polished up and finished, and people will get to see it. Now, um, are you shopping that anywhere? Are you shopping the California No anywhere else to other festivals yet? Uh, or are you waiting? Yeah, well, no, it's, uh, we're going to wait until it's until it's really done. Done. Mm-hmm. We have some ideas and some some a wish list, but. Um, that's all way out ahead. Mm-hmm. So now, um, but yes. but now we have bunker. Yes, so people can watch that. Yes, and how long will bunker be running on Directv? Um, it's it's that is up to them. They I know they rotate out their the shorts, but um, it will become available and sort of be up there at least for a few months. I don't know, but oh, okay. you can always buy it on iTunes anytime you want for two ninety nine. That's all. That's all. No, I'm serious. That's I mean, I've never yeah. bought any. I've never bought anything on iTunes. So, yeah, you can purchase the HD uh, copy of the short film for two ninety nine. Oh my goodness! And Brian's sitting here at his computer in the booth. He's probably looking this up right now because he he does things like that. <laughs> Just to double checking. You know, now that you now that you've got. You've got your feature, done, you know, under your belt. Essentially, you've got several shorts out there. I know you've been on the show talking about bitter before. Molly's been on talking about bitter before and fun size horror. Well, did two uh, two volumes of fun size horror? Yeah, but that you was... you didn't come on to talk about the second one. She did. No, I was a little busy with um, California. No, actually. Yes. Yes. And so that one can be found, too. So why don't you talk a little about that one, too, so everybody can get a full complement of your work to go look for it. Um, let's see. Yeah, you can find uh, the, the Fun Size Horror uh, Volumes 1 and 2. I know are available on Hulu Plus, um, and I know Volume 1 is for sale uh, at various online places like iTunes and, and Amazon. And there, it's not just me. There, it's, a, it's an anthology of some really fantastic uh, directors doing some really fun short-term work, short-form short, short form work in the horror genre. Mine are less horror and more comedy because I can't really take anything too seriously, apparently. But you do uh, horror comedy so well. Well, it's, uh, I'm, you know, that's because I like making fun of things. Well, but, you know, but you translate that into your visual ground. You, you, you translate that personality and those conceptual ideas into perfect visual grammar. You know, if you well, sucked, you. I would tell you. <laughs> um, sure. Yes. 
So what's the second one called? Uh, the second one was called Playing Dead, uh, which is delightful, brief little short uh, that I, that was written by Stephanie Coe, and then I got to, to uh, she let me take a crack at bringing it to life um, with an amazing cast that I was far too, far, but, uh, some like Paul Telfer, who is, of course, in Everything I Do, mm-hmm. um, and who's in Bunker, uh, but also Tracy Toms, Kevin Daniels, uh, Jake Varda, and Adi Shankar, and just we put together this this fun little team, uh, and I don't want to give away too much about what happens in it or what it's about, but um, they are uh, they're a fun group <clears throat> to to spend a few minutes with. So now that was the first thing that you've done where somebody else wrote the script, wasn't it? Yes, that would be. Uh, what was that? What was that learning curve like for you? Because I know when when you were doing Bunker, when you were doing Bitter, you've got the visuals already in your head as you're writing. Well, I mean, I, I did get to I get to work with Stephanie on rewriting the script, but it was her idea, and that we jumped off of. And um, it's actually it was kind of I like the experience of somebody else who's uh, who's inspired coming up with something, and I get to say, oh yeah, I can I can yeah. You know, once we agree on what it looks like, I can I can do the, what I think is the easier part mm-hmm. of just taking that script and sort of making it uh, making it a thing. But it was, I have to say, like it it, it appealed to my natural laziness. Oh, good heavens. He's not, really, people, he's not lazy. He just likes to make you, let you think he's lazy. He's actually extreme. Oh, you'd be surprised. He's actually, well, you, you know, Ned, I try and salvage you. I try and build you up. And there, there you go. You just rip it apart. <laughs> Force of habit. So what else, what else do you have going on on your plate right now? Oh boy! Um, well, we're going to do some more more work on the California No, and then I'm just writing as much as I can, and uh, trying to figure out what else to to do to get myself behind a camera. So, no other new scripts done right now. Nothing done. Um, well, no, we've got two two scripts that are we're out shopping for for financing, but that's sort of the the, the long form. Super fun behind the scenes part of the game. Mm-hmm. Features, features, yeah, two more features. Um, one waiting to hopefully we'll be um, able to find some some quick money for and get up off the ground soon. Um, not you know not supposed to talk too much about them, I guess. But. No, I know. So you're not crowdfunding them at this point. No, no, uh, just doing the um, the old fashioned begging. Begging is good. Begging is good. Uh, we we did crowdfunding for Bunker and it had a very successful campaign from some very generous people. But um, for California, no, we just went straight to uh, in, investors in the traditional way. Well, I'm I'm curious to see how this plays out. I actually met somebody at LA Film Festival over the weekend that I will have to pass their information along to you. Oh yeah, because they are fi- they are a financier. That's what they do. Well, you don't have to give me that information on the radio. I, no, I'm not good. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my. And now you are all finding out why I adore Ned and why we work together on things. And <laughs> because nothing is ever serious. No. God, why would it be? No. So what else are you doing to fill in your time? Anything? Well, yeah. Well, you know, I've also working for a living yeah and, and can you tell people who it is you're writing for now uh yeah i'm now uh writing covering the entertainment world for cbsnews.com good now brian now brian's nodding his head he was waiting for me to get this out of you you know <laughs> well it's not a secret well no but you know you should you know promote promote yourself sure well i don't know if cbs needs my help well, no, but you on you writing for them needs your help. Yes, um, I know. I'm, I'm just you know I'm, I'm enjoying the larger audience and the, the the bigger organization and covering movies that I which you know is my my first passion. Are they letting you pick the movies you want to cover or assigning them? Uh, no, I'm pretty much it's um, there. It's I've been sort of fielding requests myself. Oh, okay. Well, that works. 
So now, because I know, because I know, my favorite publicist. Too. Yes, our, our mutual, our mutually favorite publicist. Um, but now I know you're chained to a desk, which is why you're not here in the studio today. I know. I wish I could be. But, because uh, you know, with with responsible jobs, writing for something like CBS News Online, you know, means you got to sit at a desk and actually work. I actually, like, just before, I, I'm, I just finished an article about John Oliver, right before I called you. Anything new and exciting with John Oliver? Oh, yeah, you didn't, you didn't, did you hear about what he did last night on his show? No, I did not. Uh, he was doing a special about, a uh, uh, segment on the debt buying uh, industry and its lack of regulation. And uh, to prove a point, he and his producers started their own debt buying company for 50 bucks and spent $60,000 to buy almost $15 million worth of medical debt and just forgave it all on the air. Oh, my God. Which is a bit of a, you know, that's a big stunt. Well, that's a big stunt, but it, it really does expose, a, you know, a part of, of the collection industry out there that yeah. even the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act doesn't really... You know, people don't think about applying it to that, and it is all of these debt collectors, and that's what they do. They buy it on the cheap, then they try and go after you, and every once in a while you get somebody that will forgive the debt. That was... Unfortunately, it can't always be John Oliver. No, no. Most companies, they will keep going after people from a collection standpoint uh, after they buy debt, and then they resell it and resell it. And uh, which is where the public needs to become aware of their of the statute of limitations, because then it's automatically forgiven when nobody can yeah. collect it anymore. Um, no, they don't want people to know about that part. No. Oh my God! I wish I had seen that. Oh my God! That is um, so cool. It's on. Uh, it's on YouTube. You can you can watch the segment. Um, but yeah, he did. He said that was uh, nine thousand people's debt that he just forgave for fifteen million. Yeah. Well, if it's medical debt, I can believe it. Yeah, because that stuff racks up and does not go away. Oh my God! Oh, that's well. Now I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to read your article. Wow, oh, it should be online any minute now. Well, I'm on the radio. <laughs> I'm not online reading, Ned. Oh, oh you busy? <laughs> a little bit, you know, not much. You know, running on you know running on no sleep with LA Film Festival. I'm sure you're missing not covering it. Uh, yeah. Um. <laughs> no, sure. actually, there actually are some very wor- some very good films I've seen. There are also some really bad ones I've seen. Um, but the ones that are good are really good. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking forward to catching up on on some stuff um, once I get a a breather. Yeah. And of course, yesterday was the Edelized Future Filmmaker grants being awarded. Yes. So, and some of the same, we had repeat people, repeat filmmakers from last year. Future filmmakers were back with more films. That's awesome. Yeah. I, that's, I always love to see what, what, uh, what the kids are coming up with. I, uh, I say, sounding like an old person. To see what you would really appreciate a lot of what these kids are coming up with. There was one young girl, this was her very first film, and she did claymation. Oh, wow. Whole thing in claymation. And she actually, yeah, she won, uh, I think she won the $500 at Elias Future Filmmaker grant for animation and or experimental film. Awesome. So that was, that was really, really sweet. Um, somebody who did not... I tried, I tried claymation once for... When, when I was about like twelve or thirteen, and I, I think I, I got about thirty seconds into it before I gave up. And she had one week to get this film done. Wow! It, it was a it was a class project in her film class, and she had one week to get it done. So I that mean, it, it is just absolutely charming. It's adorable. It's colorful. Yeah, I really like that one, and. And then, of course, one of my favorite future filmmakers, Natalie Ferrara. Um, Natalie had a film last year, and we became friends, and I've stayed in contact with, with her. And, you know, right after last year's festival, she finished up her next film, Daggers and Daguerreotypes. And she had me look at it, and I said, oh, my God, 
I absolutely love it. You have to submit this next year. You got to submit it to other festivals. And she did, and it made it into this year's uh, LAFF. So that was fun uh, awesome. to see her film. And then, Good Kate, title. Uh, isn't it? And it's uh, period, all shot, period, Victorian, with costumes, set, the whole thing. Um, so, and incredible makeup jobs. And, of course, then Katie Spear, who last year won with her short, Mask, this year she came back with Astro Naught that had original music in it that was written by a friend of hers, and it was a music video that is some of the greatest imagery you could ever hope to see. Awesome. Done with it with geometric shaping. So where can I see these? Um, actually, um, I think Katie's going to give me the link. I can send you the information for all of Natalia's work. <laughs> um, yeah, but some of the stuff I was really impressed. But then again, a few others I had to sit there and say, "Huh." <laughs> so, and you know, I'm just very blunt and to the point about it. Yes, you you uh, you do not pull any punches. No. Well, I understand that my next guest, my, writer director Michael Wexler, is on the line to come on. So before you say goodbye, tell us again when people can turn tune into Bunker. Uh, Bunker goes live on Directv's Shorts HD channel on this Saturday, June 11th, and uh, from then on, it should be just. Available to watch and enjoy, and uh, hopefully enjoy uh, whenever you like. Trust me, people will enjoy it. If the only part they enjoy, it's Jack the dog, they'll enjoy it. He's a, he's a solid canine actor. Yes, he is. All right, I will see you soon. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that was writer-director Ned Airbar, Bunker, this Saturday. Direct TV. And now, the fabulous Michael Wexler. Hello, Michael. <laughs> Hi, how are you, Debbie? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. How are things uh, there in on the West Coast? Well, you know, in the midst of uh, L.A. Film Festival, right? I'm in the midst of L.A. Film Festival. Uh, but running concurrently is also Dances with Films down in Hollywood. Oh, I have a friend who just showed a... Um, she showed a music video there, uh, like two days ago. Oh, they're screening at the uh, at the at the Man's Chinese Theater, right? At, at the Chinese Complex, yeah. At the, at the Man's Six upstairs. Yeah. yeah, that's a great theater to screen at. I've heard good things about that festival for sure. You know, it, it's now in its nineteenth year. When it first started out, for many years, it was it was not what it is now. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Sure. But Leslie Scallon hung in there with it, and uh, it has turned into a very nice little festival. Um, I've seen a couple of the films. As a matter of fact, uh, the writer-director who's going to come on after you today at, uh -huh. at 1145, Desmond Devonish, he has his first narrative feature film debuting uh, on the 10th over at Dances with Films, Misfortune. Oh, it's, Very exciting. It's a thriller. It's a cat and mouse uh, kind of uh, film with diamonds and a desert involved. <laughs> uh, you know, last week Kevin Good was was on talking about his film Dinner with an Al Alchemist that premiered over the weekend at Dances with Films, uh, a period piece. But we're here to talk about the very fabulous and wonderful Altered Minds. <laughs> Which is no longer on the festival circuit. That's right. And why is it not on the festival circuit, Michael? <laughs> because I ran out of money. <laughs> no, it's I not on the festival circuit because the festival circuit ended for us in late 2014. And uh, Altered Minds came out in theaters November 2015 and is now um, is migrating from... Well, it's still on VOD, but it's actually <clears throat> also now about to have its DVD premiere release tomorrow. Yay! So, unending carousel of <laughs> different different venues and platforms. There's no, uh, you know, there's no uh, one stop all kind of fits all, you know, distribution platform now. Now you kind of go, you go from this one to that one to the next one. 
It's interesting, but I think this is going to be the, the uh, as far as I know, I think this is going to be the last, uh, you know, format in which we're going to be doing any kind of promotion. Mm-hmm. I think after this, like, you know, after the DVD release, um, you know, if, if anybody wants to interview me, I'll be more than happy to show up for the occasion, but it's more like the film is going to really be out there and uh, it's going to have to survive without my... Uh, my my TLC that I've been giving it every day. You have given this film so much TLC, Michael. <laughs> you, you've yes, re- my you, children hopefully won't be scarred by that. <laughs> well, no, they'll just have to work harder, you know, to get the same kind of TLC. Exactly, exactly. You exactly. know, it's a learning experience for them. Exactly. Tr- trust it's, me, uh, I, I know. That's what my father would tell me all the time growing up. Well, you know, I think I spoke to you about this probably the last time we, we had a conversation. And um, so much, uh, I mean, if you're a filmmaker with a family and, and, a, and, and young kids like I am, uh, you know, for me, I, 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 you know, I am, I'm like, you know, I am, film has always been uh, my first love, but family is now my first love. And my kids and my wife come first. And um, so what has always been kind of not, never a struggle, it was always sort of like, I'm going to figure this out from the get-go. How do, I, how do I be the filmmaker, pursue the dream, get it done, and, and not make it so that it becomes a, 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 you know, something of a, uh, it'll always be an extra child in the family, but not something that's going to be taking all the attention or any too much attention away from what's, uh, you know, the, the, the real flesh and blood people mm-hmm. in my life. And um, so what I did is, I, I you know, my, my oldest, uh, when the film was shot, he, he was only five at the time, and he, he wanted a part, so I gave him a little part. And uh, to this day, he, he's so excited, even though he can't watch the movie yet because he's not quite old enough. Right. He's, he's still excited to tell people that his resume includes uh, an acting debut in a feature film. <laughs> and and the other things I did is like you know obviously whenever I could and whenever we could make it work I would take my wife to some of the film festivals and she would actually be out there on the floor helping me you know promote the film you know so it, it's it's always been uh, one of those things where I I really wanted to make a point of making sure that the film didn't overshadow my personal life but that somehow I could in, mesh it into my personal life mm. well. And, and with Not al- always an easy thing to do, but it can be done. And with Altered Minds, this is all about a family. Yes, which means I have to be <laughs> and a family that has some, some, some really deep-seated issues. Yes. Not having to do with a filmmaker who neglected his family. No, but, so, so, ta- <laughs> but, but so for those that haven't listened before when you've been on the show and we've talked about the film, since it's coming on DVD tomorrow... Why don't you fill everybody in on what Altered Minds is about so that we can get them to go out and buy the DVD? Sure. So Altered Minds, um, it's, a, it's a psychodrama, psychological drama. Psychodrama actually makes it sound like it's psychotic. Huh? Well, actually, part of it could be deemed. <laughs> yes, part of it. Sure. And it's about a family that is uh, an older family uh, that is getting together, reuniting in a sense to you know, celebrate the, the, what is going to be the final birthday of their patriarch, uh, played by Judd Hirsch. And one of the members of the family uh, takes, essentially takes the in, entire clan hostage uh, and accuses the father, who is a renowned psychiatrist who used to work for the United States government and for the CIA. He accuses the father of having uh, adopted the children, all of these kids who are no longer kids, they're adults now, as part of a mind control project, like a Manchurian candidate program. And at first, this family, his brothers, his sisters, his mother, all think that our, our, our protagonist who's making these accusations is, is just, you know, flipped his lid. And the audience thinks, probably thinks that as well and, and may be just suffering from some uh, really deep-seated scars that, that he had prior to being adopted by this father. But then over the course of the story, uh, certain things start happening, uh, certain uh, memory recall happens with parts of other siblings in the family, and, and we really start to wonder, as do the family members, whether or not the father is 
potentially guilty of these things the son has been accusing him of. And so it's really a kind of kind of a mystery of who done it. You know, is the father guilty of being this evil mad scientist, or is the son suffering from something completely unrelated and transferring that that trauma into uh, and projecting it into his father? So it's really a mystery trying to figure out what the heck's going on. It takes place in one evening, which is the coldest winter on record <laughs> in the Northeast. So everybody's kind of like stuck in this house. And even though you're stuck in the house for most of the film, the movie does go beyond the doors uh, figuratively and literally mm-hmm. of the house uh, in exploring this mystery and trying to figure out what what really may have taken place. And so that's, uh, you know, I call it one night... Uh, and, and one very dysfunctional family, and uh, and and really, really, uh, uh, probably a night that that they'll never forget. You know, if you if you imagine like a family get together where everything really didn't just kind of combust, but imploded to the tenth power, <laughs> that's what this film is like. And that's why I avoid my family at all costs. <laughs> <clears throat> But, mm. it, you know, but then you also had the, had the fun job when people watch this and people from the Philadelphia area may even recognize the location here. Right, right. Dr. J's home. We shot at one of, I guess it was Dr. J in the early 70s. He mm-hmm. used to own this beautiful mansion, which is near Conchakin. Conchakin. Villanova. Yep. And, yeah, we didn't we didn't know when we chose the location, we had no idea that this house had any, any interesting history until the, uh, the mailman delivered the mail <laughs> and, and just found it very, thought we'd find it very interesting, which of course we did, that Dr. J used to live there. Now, I was not a uh, 76ers fan, uh, you know, I'm a New York Knickerbocker fan, but, um, but still, you know, I knew Dr. J was, and, uh, and, and certainly... Uh, after hearing that, I really understood why many of the rooms had incredibly vaulted ceilings, <laughs> <laughs> and and why why the basement, which was unfinished, had a, a disco ball hanging above and uh, an above ground um, uh, jacuzzi, which was very which was octagonally shaped. It was very bizarre. It was like. You know, everybody's looking. We were all kind of wondering who lived here. Why did they have a disco ball above a jacuzzi in an unfinished basement? And and once we heard Doctor Cho, we said, "Oh, yeah." So th- there must have been some interesting things going on in this house mm-hmm. at one. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it, but it for no impact on our storytelling. It was just a cute little, you know, fun little just- uh, sidebar trip. Well, now, let me ask you, did you do any fun commentary as DVD extras? Yes. Well, so here's the interesting thing. So before we, um, before we made a deal with E1 uh, for the home video DVD rights, uh, the film came out on VOD on, on iTunes and a bunch of other cable VOD and, and Internet VOD platforms. And... Apple has a uh, an extra sort of sidebar feature, which is basically the same thing. They call it extras. Okay. So if you go on iTunes now, and if somebody, if a film has those extras, you can spend like a dollar or two more and get those. Um, it's basically the same thing, more or less, that you get when you buy a DVD or um, or Blu-ray uh, special features. So I already prepared something for for the iTunes release, mm-hmm. um, but I, I basically gave them the whole, you know, kit and caboodle of, of everything that I had from all of the deleted scenes, which were many, because we cut out two main characters in the story mm-hmm. after, after finishing the film once, and I wanted people to see those deleted scenes and, and see those characters, because I think it's fascinating. Just to, it wasn't just like a few deleted scenes, little things here and there that you, you may typically get with a movie. It was like, you know, about 25 minutes of footage. So I knew they were going to put that in. But then I had a, a I did vlogs, video logs, uh, every single day in the making of the film from our very first cast reading through uh, finding the location, through pre-production, through production, every day of shooting through the finishing with my editor, through post-production, and through all the festivals. I did a tremendous amount of documentation, really because 
my first film, which I made in 1999, we didn't have camera phones, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't. I only took pictures, and I, I didn't have that kind of documentation. And I always said, if I do this again, I really want to have that, you know, for my for my own self, but also because I think it would be helpful and interesting for aspiring filmmakers or just people who love to see that kind of stuff, the extras that that are in part, you know, that that all films have. So I gave the same exact material that I gave to iTunes to our home video distributor, and I have no editorial say as to what they included and what they didn't. So when I got the DVDs for the first time a week ago, I had no idea what they were going to put on. So they did put on all the deleted scenes. They did put on two audio commentary tracks. Mm-hmm. My composer, Edmund Choi, and I did. We did two different passes. One was more focused on, on the anecdotal aspects of making the film. The other was more on the creative aspects of making the film from my perspective and, and also from the composer's perspective. Mm-hmm. And Ed is a longtime collaborator of mine, so we had, you know, we had a real fun time doing that. What They also put on my introduction to the vlogs, and those introductions nice. were me basically talking uh, you know, off the cuff onto my camera phone going, what you're about to see. However, <laughs> they didn't put on the vlogs. Oh, God. So if anybody watches DVD out there who gets a DVD, and hopefully, hopefully you will after listening to this podcast, I hope you understand when you just see me and you don't see the vlogs, that, that, that was an omission by accident. However, I am going to make available those vlogs on our website in, uh, probably in a few weeks, as well as a whole host of other extras. So that everybody who was, you know, maybe want to go on and see more behind the scenes will be able to do that. Because those, I think, were really fascinating. I mean, those were like me running around the set and sticking my nose in when uh, my production designer would be making icicles. Because we couldn't afford real snow and mm-hmm. we couldn't afford to make real, you know, icicles. So we, we, we made silicone molds. I spent like 20, you know, 20 minutes with him explaining the processes. So much stuff that you know, I think is fascinating and, and sheds light on, on how the how-to of filmmaking. Well, on that, on that lovely how-to note, my friend, I must bid you adieu and, and now talk to another filmmaker about his film that has yet to be seen by anyone. Oh, my goodness. Awesome. So, but for everybody else, Altered Minds tomorrow on DVD, get it, buy it, you will love it. Can I also throw in that it's also still on VOD and will be on VOD in perpetuity. So if you don't buy DVDs, go check it out on iTunes or Amazon or Vudu or Google Plus, Google Play. They're all still, it's all, all doable in that way as well. Wonderful. Michael, thank you so much. I will Pleasure, talk, Debbie. I'll talk I look to forward you. to speaking with you again very soon. We Next will. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Take care. And that was writer-director Michael Wexler talking about Altered Minds. And now, a big behind-the-lens welcome to Desmond Devinish. Hello. Hey, Debbie. How's it going? It's fine, Desmond. How's it going with you? Good, good, good. Got the, the mad rush last week before, uh, before the screening, but um, I'm excited. It, it's just, I tell you, the, the energy at Dance of the Films is electric. It's, it's just a, a wonderful festival. I'm so excited to be a part of it. Well, this is, uh, you know, your first feature. Yes. You know, something I find interesting about you is that in the, the films that you have done thus far, you're the writer, the director, and you act in them. True. Yeah, and it just and I have to say, misfortune. This is the first of your films I've seen. I haven't seen your shorts. This is number one. It's absolutely gorgeous. Your cinematographer, Seth Johnson. Uh, Seth Johnson, hey, killed it. He just, just phenomenal job. Did an oh, shooting in the desert, absolutely gorgeous. You've got texture, you've got light, but your night shoots, yeah, are, are, are well, they're killer. Thank you, Alexa, for that. I mean, the, that camera has just an amazing latitude in, in low-light situations. Now, what, did you, what kind of lenses did you use? Uh, we used some Cook. Cooks. <laughs> yeah. Good old Cook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you go with the, with the Prime? Yeah. So, well, actually, no, uh, uh, not with the, uh, the Cooks. We, um, I think we, um, God, which, which Cooks do we use? I don't think we use Primes on those, though. Um, not... Not sure. Um, no, they were not the primes, though. There were other ones. 
Well, Cook lenses, no matter which ones you got, are just excellent. Yeah, no, they they did the trick, and um, you know, and they do a really they do a really nice job when they are paired with the with the Alexa. They do, they do. No, that was it was definitely the the best way to go, you know. And I, I feel like I, I'd seen I'd seen some uh, some some films that that did the same thing with the light situations, and mm-hmm. I just knew that was that was our best option. So now tell everybody about the Genesis misfortune. This you can hearing the title you can and looking at the poster you a lot of different things can come to mind but the poster of which by the way I love. Yeah, we got that done in New York uh, by uh, Cardinal Communications. They're fantastic. They do all the Woody Allen stuff, and um, they actually did Whiplash too. They're just a great, great outfit. Absolutely gorgeous. But now, so what what is Misfortune about, as you would describe it? And where did this idea come from that you and your co-writer Xander Bailey came up with? Yes. Um, did you go well, out and steal diamonds at some time and not tell anyone? <laughs> no, but I've had things stolen from me, so ah. I think that was kind of you know analogized somehow. Um, but the um, yeah, I mean the, the sort of the, the baseline idea behind the story is um, it's an ex uh, you know ex convict who gets out of prison and hunts down his ex partner in crimes son for these um, missing stolen diamonds and um, you know he might catch up with the son which could lead to the diamonds um, that's what led him to the fir- prison in the first place and it turns in it is an extreme cat and mouse chase that that the Boyd which is you yep you you get your girlfriend involved yep, gets involved and your best friend Boyd's best friend Russell who's is played by Xander Correct. Yeah, and Xander and I—we've been childhood uh, buddies. I've known him since grade school in New York, and uh, just always had an affinity for films. And um, it's interesting because we both came out to LA. I actually uh, came out uh, sort of around the same time, but I, we didn't kind of rekindle our friendship till like about a few years into it. And then we just thought, all right, let's get back into this. And you know, he—we both had acting backgrounds. I'd done work in New York. I'd been on Broadway. I'd done some. Some independent films, and he had also uh, done some some more commercial work. And his father was a uh, big soap actor. And so, anyway, so when we came out here, we said, "All right, let's get back into writing." And uh, then we had one idea, which was a, a, a script previous to uh, Misfortune, which we had almost gotten in the pipeline, and we're two weeks out from shooting. Uh, to the point of location scouting, when all of our financing fell through, and actually were involved in a giant scam. Um, so that was the genesis, I think, of misfortune, um, just because I had encountered this, this huge situation where all these filmmakers and producers and writers were scammed, and it was just like, wow, wow. like just the rug pulled out from underneath. Wow. So now, yeah, so, what, was, yeah. so when you sit, so when you and Xander sit down and you start writing this, uh, did you know already that you would be directing this? Yeah, I think I had an idea that I would, and I also he'd done a couple of short films in um, that he'd acted in in Arizona and Tucson, and it's just an amazing community for film. And I, I I knew I had wanted to do something that involved some sort of betrayal and and, and something with money um, because I, I'd encountered that a lot. And 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 I think the texture I wanted something just the, where the narrative would feel like it would it would be like a moment to moment thing. And, and and certainly um, be you know fast paced and he, and he, and we thought about the desert and the desert was like perfect setting for that and I'd been very inspired from a lot of the western films I'd seen and and it just felt like a perfect landscape for this because it's just like very desolate and um, you know it had that that really gritty texture which I love to see in films too. Mm-hmm. Now, were you visualizing this as you were writing it? So that, you know, once you were stepping into the director's chair, you already had some sort of idea of the look you were going for? Definitely. I mean, I, 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 think, I think films, films that I, I'd, I'd seen before, like, like No Country for Old Men or uh, A Simple Plan, which certainly have similar feels to, to the genre, um, I, I, I knew I wanted, like, Sahara cactuses. Like, that was... That was you know, <laughs> definite um but i i don't know i like i like um yeah I, I like edgy i like edgy films and i mean i like all types of films but i think that 
certainly yeah played a major part into you know the the look and feel of it. And obviously, I sat down with Seth, and we had to figure out exactly what what you know what would be best for the film too. But um, yeah, it kind of it started it kind of mapped it right it, it wrote itself out as we as we went along. Mm-hmm. So now, as you're directing, how do you go about directing? You get your director's hat, your actor's hat. So how good of an a- how good does actor Desmond take direction from director Desmond? <laughs> well, I mean that's you know, that's that's an interesting you know question because I think sometimes uh, there, there's definitely a sacrifice uh, when you're especially when you're on a limited um, a limited constraints with, with you know with an indie budget and and I think that's where you have to really rely a lot on your DP to to get the shots framed up and it, it, it's tough because sometimes you're not going to be able to spend as much time behind the camera because you're busy trying to really get into into character mode and and vice versa also so um i think there were a couple times i actually had to reach over to xander and, and pull him aside and ask him okay hey, do you think this is good for this for the you know for the character because um, that's yeah it's it's tricky so that there's definitely um there's definitely there's definitely sacrifice either way, but I love, I mean I love acting and I've I and I love directing and, and for, for totally different reasons. But it's definitely a, it's it's a lot of work, especially when you know I produced this film too, mm-hmm. um, even though I had a, a lot of help um, from other people that stepped up and 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 took those roles with me uh, to produce the film. But it's just it's it's a lot. But I think at this level you you kind of really don't have a choice because you're you're kind of a, on a limited a limited budget, and you've got to do a lot of, you got to wear a lot of hats. Mm-hmm. Well, one one place you did not sacrifice on with Misfortune is your scoring, is your music. Talk yeah. to me about Calvin Marcus and what Calvin, he what he did for you because Calvin's brilliant. I gotta say something. Like Calvin is going to blow up. He, I, I met Calvin at actually a New Year's Eve party um, at, uh, um, at at. at at, at like midnight, I was introduced to him, and and I and I was, I was like desperately looking for someone to do my music because music is like, is so important for me. It's it's the spine of the film. It, it, it in many ways it, it's it's just like it's the heartbeat. I mean, and nowadays where I feel like music and sound is almost merged together. It's it's like because because the the music nowadays is becoming so texturized that like it's it's almost one and the same with the soundscape. So I told him I wanted something like this. And he and I sat down over the course of about two and a half months in cafes and bars with a splitter and two headphones um, running off of um, Logic and, and, and created this, this score. I mean, it's just, it was, it was one of these things that, 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 I mean, like I guess like any process happens in piecemeal, but he, um, he and I worked it out. We both had some ideas we wanted to do. And and he just um, he, he did a phenomenal job and I and I have to say that like he is definitely he, he's one to look out for I'm 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 sure of that. Well, and of course it, it's important to note here that the score is very it, it it's very necessary in this film because you do have a lot of quiet time where the yep. ca- where the characters is much more contemplative and pensive and, yeah. and anticipatory of what's coming around the corner, what might happen next. So that yeah, the, that's, that's, yeah. the score well, that's really helps. Yeah, well, that's one thing I have really stressed to him, is the fact that, like, I I think music and film is just as important um, regarding the absence of music. Like, and, like, the audience is very... It's, it, it, I think nowadays we have such a sophisticated audience you can't you can't be so you know heavy-handed on on music cues, and 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 too informative of like what the audience should feel because obviously music is like that's the first place that people are going to look to emotionally for guidance of like what this what a movie is about, and if you're too kind of too like over the head about it and 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 have too heavy music cues and like I don't know I think that the the, the audience feels duped and and I think there's there's so much to be said in having subtlety and having sort of absence and, and pausing and, and, and really putting your music in really specific moments, even if it's just like one small like cue. And, and I'm, I'm seeing that a lot more in films today, too. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so you're right. Like all those con- contemplative moments and, 
and meditative like you know pauses like were really huge. Uh, as far as like having to time that out, and I think that's one of our biggest challenges with the music was making it so, so carefully orchestrated where, where the music would not be there to complement the film, but to be there in its own kind of living form and and seeing how it can kind of be like a companion piece to the to the to the to the picture because that's I think you know when it comes down to it that's what music is in films and I really have such a high regard for music and sound. Where I feel like sound a lot of times just kind of gets kicked to the curb. Not not necessarily kicked to the curb, but like it just it becomes secondary because there's so much of an emphasis placed on on cinematography, which is gorgeous and so important because that's that's the eye of your film. But music is is like the soul, and I think that that was really important for us with the score. Is like having music that wasn't dominant, but also wasn't like secondary. It was almost like. It was like a marriage. And speaking of music, Brian just gave us the cue that we are out of time today, Des. Well, that was wonderful chatting with you. Absolutely Debbie. wonderful. Misfortune at Dances with Films, June tenth at nine 10th. at nine thirty. Thank you so much. Thanks, Des. All right, Debbie. Chat later. Bye bye. And that's it for this week. Until next week.